Man here again with another podcast. Way back in podcast 7, I played 78s of vintage comedy sketches. Now, 68 podcasts later, it's time for some more. Clapham and Dwyer were a hugely popular comedy duo in the 20s and 30s and were one of the first double acts to become major radio stars. Here they are from 1934 with Cooking the Dinner, parts 1 and 2. Hello, everybody. Now, today I had intended to tell my partner Clapham all about disarmament and all that sort of thing. But I'm afraid he hasn't arrived yet. Oh, excuse me. Hello? Hello, is that you? Yes, who is that? That's Rogers. Oh, it's you, is it? Where are you? Hey, uh, I'm not very well, thanks. I didn't say how are you, I said where are you? Oh, I'm at home. At home? Yes. But you ought to be here. Yeah, oh, I know, but uh, the ball and chain, uh, the uh, plate, you know, the missus, uh, the wife, she's, uh, she's gone out. She's left me to cook the Sunday dinner. <laughs> cook the dinner? <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see it when it's cooked. Yeah, so would I. Has she left the grub? She, uh, pardon? Has she left the grub? She doesn't drink, old boy. The grub, not the pub. Oh. There's the food there. Yeah, <laughs> hey? There's the food there. Oh, yes. Well, nearly all of it. The cat's borrowed the fish to play with, but it's, it's all right, really. Good, that's splendid. Any hors d'oeuvre? Yeah, any horses what? Horses, nothing. Hors d'oeuvre. Nah. Oh, no, no. We're, we're having dinner at home, I tell you. Well, what's for entree? <laughs> eh? What's for entree? I didn't know she was coming. Not auntie, entree. Oh. Oh, there's uh, beef and doings and... Dumplings? Yeah, eh? Dumplings? Dumplings. And there's cowslips and parrots, uh, parsnips and carrots. Yes, yes, go on. Yes, and uh, go on, and, and potatoes, uh, spud. Potatoes? Uh, potatoes. Yes. And, uh, oh, and uh, my wife said, uh, she said, do them with their jackets on, she said. Well, that's all right. Yeah, it isn't all right. I've tried every jacket in the house. They're miles too big. <laughs> no, 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 no. Dress on. They've got their own jackets on, you idiot. Oh. You don't peel them. Uh, you don't what? You don't peel them. Oh, that's good news. That's the best news today. Well, and what have you got for afters? Uh, what was that? What have you got for afters? Uh, chronic indigestion, I think. No, no, I mean, what sweets? Hey, <laughs> what, what? What sweets? I don't know. I can't hear anything. Sweets, not squeaks. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. well, she said, uh, she said, make them a nice treacle roll, she said. Oh, and I hope they enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, they'll roll all right. Do you know anything about the culinary art? Yeah, uh, uh, what was that? Do you know anything about the culinary art? Yes. Oh, the scullery is a bit dark, but we, we don't use it. The culinary art, the art of cooking. Uh, no, I've got a fa- uh, nothing. Do you know anything about it? Well, a little. Oh, good. Well, uh, you, you do know something? Yes. Well, wh- what do I do with this beef, then? Don't tell me. Is it roasting or boiling? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was that? Is it roasting or boiling? It's on fire, I think. <laughs> There's a lot of smoke coming out of the oven. Take it out, it's boiling, surely. It's, uh, what was that? Take it out, it's boiling, boiling beef, surely. Oh, that's not the beef you can hear boiling. <laughs> that's the baby. He, he's boiling his lungs out. Well, take it out, it must be black. What? It must be black. Oh, pardon me, our baby's white. No, 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 the beef, you idiot. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah, it is black. I- I'll put some flour on that little disguise. No, you'll need the flour for the gravy. Yeah, we shall what? You'll need the flour for the gravy. Yeah, we shall need the flour for the baby, all right. Listen, you'd better make a vegetable hot pot for those parsnips and carrots. You, you better what? You'd better make a vegetable hot pot with those parsnips and carrots. Well, how do, how do you make a parsnip, Foxtrot? Hot pot. Oh, 
Hello, hello. Is yeah. that you, darling? Oh, Sam, sorry, I think there's somebody on the line. There's somebody up the pole, I think. <laughs> hello. 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 Sorry, your time's up. Will you have further time? Another three minutes, please. Yeah, I say that's a nice little bit of bird. <laughs> here, here, you might bring it down. We'll have some game for lunch, eh? <laughs> <laughs> You'll be lucky that's a telephone operator. Oh, I see. Well, to get back to the hot pot. Yes. Now, you mix them all up and put them in a thick layer at the bottom of the pan. Yeah, you put them in a, in a what? In a thick layer. Well, where am I going to get a brick layer on Sunday? You, you no, can't... no, a thick layer. Oh, I think fun. Then put a layer on top of the pieces of meat. Yes. And don't forget, of course, to season with flour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do what? To season with flour. You're making it a bit difficult. Oh, why? Well, what's the idea of your knees on the floor? What, no, no, season with flour. Oh, it's not Then it. put another layer of veg on top of that. Yeah, do what? Put another layer of veg on top of that. She won't like that. Who won't? Our hen. What's she got to do with it? Well, you said put a layer of eggs on top. She, she's the only one we've got. No, no, another of veg, vegetables. Oh, sorry. Then put your lid on and steam for two or three hours. Do you? Yeah. What, me? No, no, the stuff you've got in the pan. Oh. Now for the treacle pudding. Ah, now for the... Now we're coming to it. Yes. You beat four ounces of butter and two ounces of sugar and then add carefully a beaten egg, syrup and the flour. Yeah. You got that? Oh, I've got that. What did I say? Yeah, eh? What did I say? Yeah, that's different. Uh, yes. Yeah, I know. You said uh, beat four pounds of butter. Ounces? Ounces of butter and some sugar and then beat it up till it's screaming. Creamy? Creamy. And then uh, you give an egg a, dam a good hiding and then add, add them up carefully and it should come to a, a pair of stirrups and a sir single. Uh, a syrup swindle. Uh, put in treacle. Uh, yes, it sounds good up to now. Yes. Well, don't forget some ground ginger sweet and some powder. Some, uh, don't forget some what? Some ground ginger sweet and some powder. Ground sheets and gum powder? What for? Ground ginger and baking powder, you fool. Oh. Beat them all together and put them in a greased mould. Yeah. Put them in a what? Greased mould. Haven't got one. What? A crease or a mould. The no, wife's, wife's got a wart on the back, uh, on, the, on the side of it. Uh, <laughs> you're not listening. Oh. A greasy mould. Oh. Steam for two or three hours. Yeah. Do you really? Yes. What, with the uh, nipwits, uh, nip uh, the parsnips, uh, what, the parsnips and cover up? No, no, that would spoil it. Would it? Of course it would. Oh, I wouldn't like to do that. I don't think you would. No. Oh, by the way, is your wife coming back to lunch? <laughs> is your what? Is the wife coming back to lunch? She's coming back at lunchtime. <laughs> You know, I, I think I'll take a tip from the baby and have my lunch out of the bottle. <laughs> yeah. I really think I should. Yeah. Well, I hope I've been of some use to you. Yeah, I, I bet you, you've, you've been a lot of use. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm very much obliged to you, though. Good. Of course, if, mind you, if ever I see you again, I'll, I'll let you know what happens, you see. Good. Yeah, I say, a funny thing's just happened now. What's that? Oh, you know, you know I told you the cat's had the fish. Oh, yes. Well, the, 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 while I've been talking to you, the dog's bothered the meat. Well, that's <laughs> splendid. You're getting on fire, don't we? Yes. Yeah, I say. Yes? Can you smell burning at all? Can I smell what? Can you smell burning? Burning? No, why? Well, my apron's alike. <laughs> Operator speaking. Oh, yes. Telegram for Mr. Clapham. Oh, that's me. And bringing friends home for lunch. Dorothy. Dorothy. Yes, that's the missus. Of course it is. Oh, all right. You come and see me on visiting day. Ta-da. Goodbye. Most comedy sketches were released as two-parters, so I've joined them together for this podcast. Mabel Constant-Jorus was another early radio star with her sketches involving the Buggins family. Here she is from 1930 with Michael Hogan with Father Sweeps the Chimney. Hello, all of you. <laughs> What's all this smoke? <laughs> Stop it, Emily. It's the chimney. I can't pneumatic with it. It won't sweep in. I've asked the sweep to come Monday. Yes, and what do you think we're going to do till then? Sit here in a spixy cake? <laughs> it's awful. Why can't he come today? Oh, Father, do be reasonable. It's set the afternoon. Sweeps must have holiday. 
Cold washing holiday. It wouldn't be no holiday to wash you. More like hard labour. That's Denmark and exaggerated. Here, <laughs> yeah, my gullet's getting fair choked with soot already. I can get a fall of it inside me in a minute and, and rock the inner tube to me by now, Mill. Here, I can see what it is. I shall have to sweep the blooming thing myself. Oh, Father, I haven't got the furniture covered up and nothing. We shall have the home view in. Oh, I see. The home comes in front of my gullet, I suppose. Fat lot of you short home will be here when the breadwinners ain't stretched out of asphyxicated corks. Here, Alfie, run and fetch the flue brush while I find something to tie it on to. Yes, Father. Now, what have we got? I know, the wireless aerial. Oh, my goodness. He's got one of his energetic fits on. It'll take me days to undo the mess he'll make. Oh, I'll catch him wrenching an hammer in at that aerial. Never find him out then. Oh. There, the wires flew up and hit him in the face. Don't listen to what he's saying, Alfie. Come and give a hand. Some of you can't share. What's the matter, Father? Open the window and give me a hand to get this aerial in. Here, ever run and give your father a hand while I open the window for him. There you are, Father. Shove it in. No, wait a minute. You'll poke my eye out. More to the right. You mind the gag? <laughs> There, now you've done the mantle in. That's written scorn. Well, I'm saving you the course of the sweet, ain't I? Why can't you guide it where you want it? How can I guide it when you keep pushing it so? Here, stop jabbing me in the bag. <laughs> Not that way, Father. You'll have the hats to disrobe. Well, I can't go one way or the other, haven't I? Are you going to move out of that armchair or not, Grandma? No. Right, then. <laughs> oh, my princess, the distress. Now, then, where's the flu brush? Ah, oh, here we are. Oh, Father, don't lay the flu brush on the auntie. You'll make it filthy. Auntie, me foot. Cover up your blooming furniture. Here, I suppose I've got to do it myself. Emma, fetch all the coats off the hooks in the passage. Oh, Father, they'll get saturated with soot. Well, what do you expect them to be? Dry, cleaned and pressed? Dirt's got to go somewhere, hasn't it? Don't stand arguing the toast. Tie the flu brush onto the pole. Now then, Emma, sweep one of them coats over the whatnot. No, no, not that one. That's mine. You can take that back. Here's Grandma's mantle. That'll do. <laughs> Stop it, you blood-sucking brethren. Ha-ha, <laughs> <laughs> that's got you out of your chair. Finish time, that brush, Emily? Yes, here you are. Whatever are you going to do with it? Guide it up the chimney, of course. Oh, Father, not that great area. Go on, push. Push? How did it suck? Push, I tell you. It's no use, Father. It suck. If a sweep can do it, I can do it. The sweep has his flashing dicks and Susan together, Father. Well, now, why couldn't you have said that before? Putting me to all this trouble, now we'll have to get it down again. Lay hold everyone and in. Eve, I tell you. Eve! Eve! Oh, Father, need you have sat right in the china cupboard. Alfie, get up out of the coal. Emma, that baby you're sitting on. There, there, Ducky, don't cry. Don't look at her, Father. It frightens her. Now, for goodness sake, give up this nonsense. Why, to know myself eat my blooming chimney? Not if I die for it. Here, where's the chopper? Whatever are you going to do now? Chop the pole up into sections, of course. What? Chop up and wild, is there When I do a job, I do a job. Stand out the way. There we are. That's one section. And there's a couple more. Now, where's the flue brush? It must be still up the chimney. Here, Alfie, your arm's smaller than mine. Reach up that chimney and pitch down the brush. Can you feel it? Yes, Father. Well, give it a jerk. Go on. Pull. Here, Pooh, stop it. You're smothering us. 
Whatever did you want to let him do it for, Father? That's right, blame me because the child's clumsy. But look at him, only just the whites of his eyes showing. He don't look human. Now, for goodness sake, Father, let us alone before any more soot comes down. Well, where do you want the soot? I thought you wanted it down. Now, you say you want it lift up. Make up your mind. Well, why not let it wait for the sweet? I see. After doing all the donkey work, I can go hang while the blooming sweet comes in and collars all the honour and glory. Now then, let's have another go at that blue brush. Where have you pushed it, Alfie? I can't feel it. Here, let me light the candle for you, Father, so you can have a look at Well, not under me moustache, silly. Wait a minute, I'll have to get my head up a bit. Careful, Father, in case the more soot comes down. Can you see it? Whoa! 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 What is it, Father? Street slider! Oh, my goodness, his head's stuck. Here, catch hold of one of his legs, children, and I'll take the other. Now, Paul. He ain't getting none. Pull all that. Come. One, two, three, go. We shred his head off. You just surprise him out with a poker. Draw in your breath, Father dear, and make your head as thin as you can. Now, Emma. See all the poker up between his head and the wall. Emma, he's got the poker up his nostril. Fetch it down. Sounds pretty class, gosh, don't he? Oh, my goodness, what shall we do? Well, you can't leave him there. We shall want the fire. Don't keep about a bit. It's them ears of his. They always was abnormal. Perhaps if we get the sharp wrench, one of them will dead. Oh, be careful, Grandma, you'll have one of them all. Well, it seems to me it's a case of a one-eared husband or no husband at all. Father dear, we're going to make a last effort. If you don't come down this time, we shall have to wait till you start yourself thin enough to drop. Now then, one, two, three, four. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Oh! Oh, Father, I'm glad you're safe, but I do wish you didn't have swept the chimney with your head. Oh, do you? Here, hop me some water, one of you. I'm going out for a drink. That's all the thanks I get for risking me life and covering myself in soot to teach you a bit of economy. Economy's all very well for them as can afford it. We can't. Emma, that lump of soot over there's baby. Take her out and put her under the tap for goodness sake. I've got to start cleaning the plate up. Albert Burden appeared in nine films during the 1930s and starred in a series of pantomimes. Here he is from 1934, billed as Albert Burden and the Awful Child, with George Washington. Please, can I have your autograph, sir? Oh, child, will you go away? This kid's followed me for miles. Haven't I told you I am not Clark Gable? Now, go away. Go home to your mother. Go on. Haven't got a mother. All right, well, go home to your father. Haven't got a father. Oh, well, what have you got? Have you got any brothers and sisters? Fourteen. Fourteen? No father and mother? No. No father and mother and fourteen brothers and sisters? Yes. It's a jolly good job you didn't have a father and mother, I think. Fourteen brothers and sisters? Now, you know that's a lie. Little girls like you shouldn't tell lies. You should be like uh, uh, George Washington. Do you know who George Washington was? No. You don't? No. Well, uh, do you know who Columbus was? No. 
Well, who found America? I don't know. I never knew it was lost. No, it wasn't lost at all. Columbus discovered America. Where is he now? Columbus? Yes. Good heavens, don't you know the man's dead? No, I never knew he'd been ill. Oh. Well, George Washington was a man who never told a lie. Would you like to hear the story? Yes. All right, well, I'll tell you. Well, now, uh, when he was a little boy, his father... Whose father? Uh, George's father. What George? George Washington's father uh, bought him a hatchet. What for? Oh, I don't know, just to, uh, just to cut down expenses, I suppose. Ha, <laughs> ha. Jolly good, eh? Uh, did he ax him for it? Ooh, did he ax him for it? I don't know. Anyhow, uh, one day... What day? <laughs> oh, child, I don't know. Uh, uh, Friday. Good Friday? Yes, good Friday if you like, yes. Was it raining? No, it was snowing. Coming downward? You've never seen it snow up, have you? Yes, it snows up in Aberdeen. Oh. Well, anyway, his father... Whose father? George's father. What George? George Washington's father had an orchard. What's an orchard? Well, an orchard's a thing that orchards. And in this orchard, he had a cherry tree. With cherries on? No, with knobs on. With cherries on. What do you expect, blamanges? I don't know. I've never been to America. Where did he get it from? Where did he get what from? Cherry tree. Oh, child, I don't know. The man just had the thing. Well, how did he know it was his? He read it in the paper. What paper? The Sunday Herald. What? On a Friday? Oh. Now, listen, go away. I'm not telling you anymore. Why? 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 Do you take me for a fool? I, I would if I wanted one. <laughs> now listen, do you want me to continue with the story or not? Yes. Well, don't interrupt. Well, now, his father said... Whose father? George's father. What George? George Worthington's... Oh. George Washington's father said, Whatever you do, don't chop down my favourite cherry tree. And one night, he was lying peacefully in bed. What was he doing there? Uh, what was who doing there? A policeman in bed. Peacefully in bed. Policeman in bed. And some evil influence made him get up and go to the orchard and chop down his father's cherry tree. What for? To see if it would stand up. Did it? No, it fell down. With all the cherries on? No, the cherries had been taken away. Who took them? The plumber. What was the plumber's name? Ramsey MacDonald. Where did he take the cherries to? To put them in the cabinet. Oh, dear me. Oh, I wish I'd never started this. Well, when his father saw this terrible catastrophe, he was terribly angry and said, who has done this dreadful deed? George Washington said, Father, I cannot tell a lie. It was I, with my bow and arrow, I killed Cockrop. I chopped down your cherry tree. Now, what do you think his father did? Made him put it up again. Made him put it up again, no. He picked him up and placed him on his knee and kissed him. 
and said I would rather lose 10,000 trees than you should tell a lie. Now, what do you think about that? That's very funny, because when I was a little kid, my father bought me a hatchet because I axed him for it. Axed him for it. Now, don't start that again. Axed him for it. And he had an orchard, just like George Washington the tub. Washington. And one night, I was lying with a policeman in bed. With a what? Policeman in bed. Oh, child, how many more times? Peacefully in bed. Haven't I told you? Peacefully in bed. Where do you come from? Birmingham. I thought so. I thought so. Now I know. They don't bury the dead. They let them walk about. Anyway, I was lying peacefully in bed, and some evil influenza... Influence. Influence made me get up and go to the orchard and chop down my father's cherry tree. And when my father saw this terrible black cat after me... The what? Black cat after me. Catastrophe. Catastrophe, you cheeky little monkey. Here, what's your name? What for? What for? I'm going to tell your mother. Why, my mother knows my name. Oh. Anyway, he was terribly hungry. Angry. Angry. And he said, who has done this dreadful deed? And I said, Father, I cannot tell a lie. It was Columbus. Columbus, you mean it was you? Yes, it was me. It was I who chopped down your cherry tree. And what do you think my father did? Well, he picked you up and placed you on his knee. Yes, face downwards with a slipper. And I've never spoken the truth since. That's Albert Burden. Next up is the Regal Sketch Company from 1929 with Mr Sparrow Puts Up for Parliament. Freedom never, never, never shall be slain. You all know why we are here? Yeah, yeah. We're here yeah, yeah. because the Pope, the candidature of Mr. Sparrow at the forthcoming parliamentary election. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have no great pleasure in introducing Mr. Sparrow. Yeah. If that's him, I'm going to vote for the other fellow. <laughs> Mr. Chairman, ladies and gentlemen, you all know why I stand before you tonight. I stand before you tonight because I have been asked to stand as your parliamentary candidate. And that is why I stand before you tonight. Never known you stand much before tonight. <laughs> order! Order! Ladies and gentlemen, in addressing you tonight, I am sure I have the support of the male electors of my constituency. <laughs> but it is the support of the young women that I am most anxious to secure. This is the first occasion in British history they have been allowed to vote. Good old Baldwin! When I look around tonight, and see the beautiful young women with their rosy lips and their pearly teeth, I am more than glad to know that at last they have the franchise. Oh, the saucy old man, he likes it with franchise. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me as I like that, I've been thrown out of better places than this. Order for Mr. Sparrow. Good old cock sparrow. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, to resume, there are 33,000 women voters in this division, and I want to ask each and every one of you to give me your confidence Tonight. Gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, unless Mr. Sparrow has perfect order, he will not be able to continue. Don't turn that poor little Sparrow away. (laughs) Yes. I most unhesitatingly state and affirm that if a man is entitled to a vote, then by all means a woman is entitled to the same privilege. For where should we be without the women of England? Yeah. Yeah. That's where you're wrong. You 
with none of your beer at all. <laughs> My mother was a woman. No. And I say that the young woman of today is the mother of tomorrow. And the way you're going on, she'll be a grandmother by Friday. Now, ladies, what we want is unity. For years, our politicians have been preaching conservatism, yeah. socialism, yeah. communism. Yeah. But what do we all finish up with? Rheumatism. <laughs> when the result of this election is announced, and I am amongst the returned MPs... You mean amongst the returned empties? Uh, there are two great questions I shall bring before the House. The naval question is important, for what do we get from the sea? Ah. From the sea we get our fish. And what do we get from the land? Ah, chips. <laughs> and I promise my electors I shall not be one of those vacillating, shifting, uncertain politicians sitting on the fence. I shall have a permanent policy, for there's no sense in sitting on the fence. Oh, my self in the moonlight. <laughs> oh, my self in the moonlight. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sparrow is now prepared to answer any sensible questions that you care to put to him. Uh, well, may I ask you, Mr. Linnett? Sparrow, sir. Mr. Sparrow. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Well, this is my question, Mr. Robin. <laughs> Sparrow, sir. Oh, well, never mind about your name. What about British eggs? Well, what about British eggs? Well, I'm asking you, what about them? Well, what is it you want to know, sir? What about British eggs? Yes. What about British eggs? I can't tell you about British eggs if I don't know what you want to know about British eggs. Well, what I want to know is this. If a Cochin China hen lays an egg in a Dutch clock in an Italian restaurant, is it British? <laughs> I am afraid I can't answer that question. Well, well, what use would you be sitting in Parliament? You, you wouldn't be able to hatch anything. Yes. Sir, it's time the women had a turn. I should like to hear the ladies speak. They don't often get a chance. Lord, Lummy, you must be single. What I want to know is this. Is it a fact that the government intends to tax baby Austin seven pounds a year? I believe that is so, madam. And why not? Why not? My name's Austin. I've got ten children. And if that's the game, I'm not going to have any more. Any more? If you've got ten, I reckon your garage is full. <laughs> <laughs> madam, I am only here to answer sensible questions. Well, I'll ask you a sensible question. I'm a Lancashire man. 500,000 men are queued up in the streets every day waiting for the dole. Now, what's your remedy? Well, that is a very serious subject. Thousands, as you say, queue up in the street waiting for the dole. But up to now, we have no remedy. Well, I am. What is it? Take it round to them. <laughs> Order, if you please. As I said before, Mr. Swallow, we Lancashire chaps lately have had a very rough time. I know you have, sir. Are you in favour of making things smoother for the working classes? I'll certainly do my utmost. Very well, then. Answer me this. If elected, are you prepared to abolish wrinkles in tripe? <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid tripe doesn't come under the heading of politics. Then what about trotters? I'm a bookmaker. Are you in favour of abolishing the tax on bookmaking? No, sir. We need the bookmaking tax to help our national resources. Keep on the tax and there won't be any. Any what? Grand National Racehorses. <laughs> <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, my time is nearly up, but I am willing to answer one more question before we close the meeting. Well, then, let a woman have the last word. She always has. Well, madam, what is your question, and make it as brief as possible. Well, should a woman vote the sign as her husband? Well, that's hard to say. A woman may be conservative, but she likes her husband to be liberal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
may be, but getting money out of my old man's labour. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, you have all heard the able way that Mr. Sparrow has answered the questions this evening. And there is no doubt he is the right man to represent us in Parliament. Now, don't forget Friday. Vote for Sparrow and poll early. Now, all together. He's a jolly good fellow. He's a jolly good fellow. Vote on Friday for Sparrow. And you'll be up the pole. Gilly Potter was another early radio star and continued broadcasting until the 1950s. Here he is from 1930 with Mr Potter's Sporting Broadcast. Good evening, listeners all. This is Gilly Potter speaking. I am out of town and shall continue to be until my creditors agree to accept three halfpence in the pound or die, preferably the latter. I am speaking tonight from the gasworks at Godalming. There is, by the way, at present a deep depression over Godalming, which will continue north along the road to Guildford, where it will turn left, enter the Red Lion, and disappear. Well, here we are again, all assembled, eager, excited, and I trust sober, to enjoy our periodical ten minutes of edifying uplift tempered with innocuous hilarity. But before I commence my talk, it falls to my happy lot to be privileged to announce the results of two outstanding sporting events. First of all, the boat race. Incidentally, I was asked to make a running commentary on the boat race, but I wasn't going to run from Putney to Mortlake with a microphone in my hand for the BBC or any other letters in the alphabet. But I visited the river bank with an aged friend, a very aged friend. Well, you can tell how old he is. He can actually remember the year when Oxford won the race. The result was Cambridge first, Oxford second, the umpires launched two dogs and a straw hat tied for third place. The next event was the football final. I went to Wembley to witness this great match. I have now been to Wembley six times, once through the gate and five times over the wall. On the last five occasions I have been taken there by a friend from Scotland. He comes down each year by train. A platform ticket enables him to board the train at Edinburgh and at King's Cross he pays his fare from Finsbury Park. He tells me that this year his train was the slowest by which he has ever travelled. After stopping for half an hour for the sixth time, he called the guard and protested. The guard told him if he didn't like it to get out and walk to London. I can't do that, he replied, as my friends aren't expecting me until this train arrives. But to return to Wembley, I liked the place. I liked the crowds of people. I did very well there this year, by the way. Two watches and three handbags. Better than my friend who got one watch and three months. Talking of my watches, uh, my friend told me of an experience of his at a strange hotel which illustrates how careful one should be in such places. It's a habit of mine, he told me, to put my watch under my pillow at night. I went to bed last night, put my watch under the pillow as usual, woke up in the middle of the night, wanted to know the time, put my hand under the pillow to find the watch and had it gone, I asked anxiously. No, he replied, but it was going. Incidentally, its loss would have been a very great blow to my friend, for it is one of the most Curious watches I have ever seen. The small hand shows high water at London Bridge, and the big hand marks closing time at Gala Shields. To return again to Wembley, I first visited the place during the Great Exhibition. My brother, not the eldest one, the scholar, but the younger one, the staunch inebriate, had an official appointment there, or rather a series of official appointments. In the morning, he was either in the waxworks as Crippin, or on the lake as Grace Darling according to the state of the weather. 
it was at all wet, Grace Darling didn't put out. In the afternoon, he went across to Canada with six others and mowed the prairie, and in the evening, dressed as a Zulu, he sold Wembley Rock and picture postcards of Lloyd George. I shall never forget my first visit on the opening day. I really went, hoping to see the Prince of Wales. I'd never seen the Prince of Wales. I'd seen the Archbishop of Brixton. In fact, I know him well. I've often had one with him. I lent him a ferret last epiphany. He promised to let me have it back with some rabbits, but here we are the last Friday before Sexagesima, and I've had neither. But as I was saying, I'd never seen the Prince. So I went down to where the royal procession was expected, thousands of people, all kept back by soldiers holding cannons in front of them. And by and by, along came the royal procession, and I didn't know the Prince. So I leant across to one of the soldiers and said to him, Excuse me, where is the Prince of Wales? He said, I don't know, sir. I'm a teetotaler. However, we found another one, and I was there for some time, and then friends very kindly carried me into the stadium. Well, when I could stand up without touching Nova Scotia, I looked round and was fortunate in being able to see the Duke of York. Fortunate in the sense that half an hour earlier I could see nothing. And as I looked at the Duke, I thought of the last time that we met. He came back from Eton on the Monday, and I came back from Dr. Bernardo's on the Tuesday. A most interesting coincidence. Australian papers, please copy. To return to the match, it was, I believe, a magnificent match. I nearly saw it once when the man in front of me fainted. The result was Bank of England 2, Huddersfield 0. This week, curiously enough, is again full of sporting interest for me. For tomorrow, the Tufnell Park Early Closing Association are due to meet the Wandsworth and District Band of Hope Union in the final of the All England Tug of War. On Wednesday, I am playing Snakes and Ladders with the Vicar. And on Sunday, my Aunt Polly is coming from Saffron Walden. Altogether, an exciting week. Now, I was to address you tonight on the topic of station masters and their habits. And to make myself master of my subject, I wrote to 4,000 station masters in England and one in Essex. I also interviewed personally the station master at Victoria. But the 4,001 to whom I wrote, having failed to reply to my letters, and the one whom I interviewed having told me that there were no cheap tickets to Kempton Park, I think the less said about station masters and their habits, the better. I started the first vintage comedy podcast with John Henry's Wireless Elephant by John Henry. So it's fitting that I end this second vintage comedy podcast with him as well. John Henry was another early radio star and made several records between the early 20s and early 30s. Sadly, he committed suicide in 1934 after the death of his partner Gladys Horridge, who'd played his wife Blossom on stage, radio and record. Here he is from 1924 with John Henry Calling. Hello everybody, John Henry Calling. It's a funny thing to have your voice served on a plate, isn't it? I'm not really here, you know, so it's no use looking for me in the little box. I think it's a good job I'm not on that plate, because going round and round like this would get me dizzy. And fancy having that needle making scratches all round the small of your back. Look at the little pile of dust the needle's scraping off. I've got a touch of cold and I expect that's the husky part of my voice coming away. It's queer how I came to be doing this. A fella came to me and he said, John Henry? I said, what? 
He said, what about posterity? I said, who's posterity? He said, those that follow after. I said, I know, young women. They're always following after me when blossoms are not about. But he said he didn't mean that. Posterity, he said, meant the coming generations yet unborn. They, he said, must know the sorrows of this generation. They must know, he said, the trials and tribulations of this age. They must know what we have to put up with. So your voice shall be handed down to them through the deathless ages as a warning on a plate. Then he made me talk down a trumpet and a man on the other side caught the words as they came out and took them down and that's what you can hear now. I was going to sing a little number I know that goes like this. Why don't you work like other men do? How the heck can I work when there's no work to do? But the man wouldn't let me. But he has let me sing a little song and on the other side you'll find it a very pretty thing that I've just sung. Well, Blossom helped me to write it. We had a bit of an argument about it, but it's no use arguing with her. Arguing with her when she's made up my mind? Oh, well, it's silly. Blossom's a nice woman, but she's loquacious. She's tall and thin, and she has high intellectual hips and bob fingernails. She bobs them herself with her teeth. She's got mingled hair, too. Some of her own mingled with some from the hairdressers. But she's good to me sometimes. She bought me a tie yesterday, and when I saw it, I didn't know whether to grow a beard or commit suicide. Oh, look! The little needle's nearly at the end. John Henry, will you shut up? That's my master's voice. That's John Henry ending this podcast. Find me on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Until next time, this is some J-Man saying goodbye and keep spinning that shellac.